hell out of it. Is. Is. So, so my daughter, my daughter went to Oberlin. Yeah. And they had a lot of Latinx there. Oh yeah. And I asked her, I said, how many Latinx students are there? She said, not too many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my, my daughter at Cal, Berkeley, you know, she said, I got all those local. I'm a Latin griega. Yeah. I'm Latin Y. Why the bring me Really funny experiences when I was running for office in San Francisco yeah, yeah, yeah. as a conservative, you know. You did? Oh, yeah, twice. I ran for a uh, board of supervisors. Were you just like going for the Hail Mary? Oh, uh, no, I thought I had a good chance. In I San Francisco? In San Francisco. I came in seventh out of top six. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Border Wars, the first bilingual podcast that goes beyond the border. Welcome to the Border Wars podcast. Uh, this is a special episode of the podcast. First of all, we are the number one podcast in all of the Americas, the only bilingual podcast that takes you beyond the border. This is Hispanic Heritage Month, and I think this is a good time to talk about something that doesn't get talked about uh, in not just the media. I think in general, when they talk about you know Latinos in the U.S. and things like that, they tend not to talk about Latinos in the armed forces. And I have two individuals that are here with me. Manny Rosales from Nicaragua, uh, Sergio de la Peña from Mexico, both proud Americans, both proud origins from Latin America, and both veterans of the U.S. Armed Forces from different generations, from, from the Vietnam era to the Cold War. And then, you know, obviously I'm a veteran as well from kind of the War on Terror era. And so we're going to talk all, all about that. But I want to kick this off. First of all, how are you guys doing? Very great. Yeah. Great. Thank Absolutely. you for having us. Thank you for yeah. having us. Absolutely. Do, you, do, you, do we say happy Hispanic heritage? Month? Is that a thing? Or? Oh, no. I haven't heard that one yet. You haven't had anyone call to you be like happy, happy Hispanic? No, no, no. Tequila really? time. Tequila no, time. I mean, and, yeah. and, and, and when I was in the Army early on, we would always celebrate uh, the 16th of September if you wanted to. And so that was, I believe, the origins of how we ended up with Hispanic Month in September. Oh, is that what it is? Oh, well, wow. it's also... It's, it's from also, the Army? Yeah, this well in the army they would they would they would promote uh, his, Hispanic Month or it wasn't even Hispanic Month. Yeah, I was gonna ask, why is this month Hispanic Heritage Month? Well, the other thing is that a lot of the Mexicanos. Well, no, well, not only that. If you look at the, <laughs> 16th of September, a grito, you know. Uh, well, yeah. there's that, but in Chile, it's also celebrated about the same time because yeah. when the Spaniards were losing Latin America, it happened in the summer. It yeah. started in July and it ended about September. And right. so it's just kind of the bulk of yeah. how many countries yeah. got their independence about that time frame. A lot of them. Okay, yeah, yeah that makes them. sense. That yeah, makes yeah. sense. Absolutely. And why, every every Hispanic Heritage Month, the only thing I see is taco nights. <laughs> you could be like in a Puerto Rican neighborhood yeah. and it's taco night. Yeah, even in San Antonio with, uh, you know, Jill Biden. That's, you know, that's so, yeah, it's every night taco <laughs> every night. Every night taco night, man. We're all tacos in that sense. And we're talking with Sergio de la Peña and Manny Rosales because you guys are some of the most distinguished gentlemen that I know that are both veterans of the U.S. Armed Forces and also successful uh, entrepreneurs or defense officials. You served in the Trump administration at the highest levels in the Pentagon, and you served in the Bush administration at the highest levels of the Small Business Administration. And I think being that it's Hispanic Heritage Month, and we talked a little bit before about what that means to who educated us, because for us ignorant Latinos, we didn't even know why they celebrated at this point in time. But anyhow, it, it, I think what it means is Latinos have contributed to society here in the United States in ways that often even aren't even discussed. It's always kind of like talks about in terms of the restaurants and this and the food and the culture. But I want to talk about the U.S. military because the three of us are Latinos. The three of us have served in the U.S. Armed Forces. The three of us have all taken that oath of office, you know, against all enemies, foreign and domestic. 
And I think that it's interesting because it's evolved over time. I mean, Manny, tell us about your time because you joined, you were, you were uh, during the Vietnam era, right? Yeah, I was drafted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't join. Okay, okay. Hey, you know, matter of fact, uh, I didn't even, you have to register for the draft when you turn 18 at that time. Okay. And I didn't. Okay. You know, How did they I, draft you then? Oh, because they came knocking care. on my door. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> All of a sudden, I, this is the FBI. I said, really? Yeah. The FBI was the one that? Yeah, knocked oh, wow. on my door. And I said, yep. you have to, you, you know, you, you know that you have to. The selected uh, service. Select whatever it yeah. was. You know, so I had to sign up right away. Yeah. And, uh, but going back to the military aspect of it, uh, I have to tell you a, a story that uh, why I'm here. Yeah. It's because I'm not the first guy, not the first Rosales. My father came from Nicaragua back in the, in the forties because a, an uncle of his told him, look, there's an opportunity to work in San Francisco. Why don't you come up here and, you know, and get some work. I, I was just born. So he left Nicaragua and I, I guess it was a tourist visa or a work visa. He got here back in 1943, 44. From right? Nicaragua? From Nicaragua. He went straight to San Francisco? He went to San Francisco and he was there because his uncle had, you know, some connections. He was going to be working there. And then six months later, he gets a letter from the government of the United States. Welcome. It was a greetings from the president of the United States. Okay. Who was the president at the time? Uh, Roosevelt. Roosevelt, yeah. He got drafted. <laughs> he was drafted. Six <laughs> greetings. Months. Thank greetings. you for coming here. Greetings from the oh, president wow. of the United States. So he was drafted. What year was this again? Uh, 44. Was World War II still? World War II. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it, was, it was going full blast. Yeah. So he got drafted and then he got sent over to Germany mm. uh, in Patton's division. He was over there in, in the occupation, and then, oh, wow. you know, he came back in uh, 1945, 46. But because he, he was there, unbelievably, he couldn't believe that he survived because, yeah. you know, it was a lot of immigrants yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that were in the same situation that they drafted, they sent That's them over there. So, so let me just elaborate a little bit on that because this is an important data point. There was an arrangement made between the the government of Mexico and the government of the United States, because at the time, most Hispanics were of Mexican descent, but, you know, you, right. you were close enough. <laughs> <laughs> a little further south. <laughs> a little further south, but that's okay. And so the agreement was that if you're a green card holder and a U.S. resident, you're yeah. vulnerable for the draft, which is still the case today if we ever have a draft again. Yeah. So even though you're a citizen of another country, it didn't matter, because if you're here as a permanent resident... You went, yeah, and yeah, you went yeah. to the war. I had uncles that did the same thing. Yeah. Huh. You know, they thought, well, we're not going to get yeah, back. But he got his car in three months. But, but, <laughs> but there, there was about, there was roughly, I, don't, I can't get the precise numbers, but it was about a quarter million people that went into World War II that were part of that. Were, were residents? There were residents, and then yeah. they, they went off to war. If, if, before how, many, how many were... What nationalities do you, you know? Like mostly, remember, mostly most most were Mexican because Hispanics back in those days yeah. Uh, yeah. were the predominant Hispanic group. So your, you, your dad was probably one of the few Nicaraguans. Well, there was. He says there was, uh, you know, Puerto Ricans and well, Puerto know, Ricans are Americans. Americans, right? So, but there was a lot of Latinos and some other, you know, yeah. Asians and other yeah, nationalities, sure. but not like mostly Latinos. Yeah. But he had no clue. Mostly of Mexican origin. Yeah. Even today, if you look at the Hispanics across the United States, uh, those of Mexican origin were about oh, yes, yeah. 62%. Yeah, yeah, right, still, right. Still the so the bottom line is he got drafted. And, <laughs> and so because because of that... He served in World War II. World War II. So he's a World War II vet. They sent him back and they gave him citizenship. Yeah. So 
That's why I was so fortunate to be here because he. <laughs> and then they guy, got the second result. <laughs> he said, then he no, he brought everybody. You know? No, no, so, I know, so I know. So he brought my mother and I. We came back. And, 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 <laughs> then they drafted you. <laughs> and, and, yeah, exactly, I, I get to that, but they, they came back and yeah. he brought my mom and myself and yeah. then his mother and his, his. Oh, so when he was in the war, you were in Nicaragua. I was in Nicaragua. Okay. So my mother and I would, you know, live in there, uh, you know, with the family there. But yeah. then I came and I was four. Okay. But I came almost five. Okay. And you, you remember know, this? Oh yeah. Really? I, I, well, he told me the story about him being yeah. drafted yeah, yeah, and all yeah. of that. But you know, I remember coming, coming here, yeah. right? Because I was, you know, four, almost five. You know, kindergarten, yeah. right? So the bottom line is that uh, that's why we were fortunate to come. Yeah. Know, because yeah, he basically yeah. got drafted. He became a U.S. He citizen. literally had to go to war. So he you had guys to go can to come war. Exactly. to America. Yeah. So we came to America and everything, and then you know, San Francisco Bay Area and everything, and then uh, you why know, did he choose San Francisco? Because that's where his, uh, there was a lot of Nicaraguans in San Francisco right? at that time. Where the work was. Yeah. Okay. It was a work because of the ports. Okay, okay, okay. You know, because of the war, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he came and, uh, you know, there was, at that time in San Francisco, LA were the biggest pots for Nicaraguans and El Salvador, Central Americans yeah. in general. Not Miami. That came after. That came later. That's uh, Ortega, Cold War. Yeah, yeah, Cold War, right? So uh, 20 years later, you know, actually 18 years later, yeah. I get drafted. It's you know, crazy. They, they knock on the door. They, they draft me, and it's. Uh, what did your dad think when you got drafted? He says, "Oh my God, good luck! <laughs> <laughs> you're on your own. You're on your own, but, <laughs> but, like, but at least I, at least I spoke English, right? That's true. So, yeah, so yeah. I kind of knew what was going on, <laughs> and so they 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 basically, uh, you know, put me in uh, Oakland. You know, that's okay. the processing center, and then I went to Fort Ord. Okay. And Fort Ord. Is that what you did basic? That's what I did basic. And yeah. at the time I go to Fort Ord, there's a uh, meningitis outbreak. I mean, guys are, you know, dying. And so we have to sleep outside. <laughs> we, got, you know, we, we, we can't go to church. We have to go, to, you know, do the, the, the church in the, in the streets or yeah. in, the, in the woods. And, and, and you can't even go out to, uh, out, out of the base. You know, yeah. you were quarantined because, oh you know, gosh. that was spreading. So it was really something crazy. What the hell? Uh, and then... From there, but uh, I was you know sent to overseas. Yeah, and it's funny because I was sent to Germany where my father was. Damn. I was a combat medic. My yeah. father was a combat medic, and I was about maybe fifty miles from where he was stationed in Germany, and I was in a little town called Hanau, which is south of uh, Frankfurt. You know, it was an artillery unit. Okay, so it's like twenty years later. From World War II, yeah. I show up. History it, repeats. It, it, repeats. I say history itself. doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. It rhymes, <laughs> so. and and uh, and. Germany was still recovering from the war. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like it was all built up. But this is this is now for the Vietnam War. This is during the Vietnam War. So okay. I got drafted during the Vietnam. Well, War. you're doing the medics in Germany. That are, in Germany, yeah. I got lucky. Yeah, ninety-eight yeah, yeah. percent of my unit went to Nam, Nam, yeah. or, or, or or the east, you know, far east. Yeah. I got sent to Germany, thank God. Yeah. And uh, but at the end of my term, there was at, at that time we had maybe. Uh, 18 medics and one doc. Okay. When I was leaving, there was five medics and I was the doc. Oh, okay. Because they were all being sent to NAM. What kind of, what kind of, you must saw some crazy patients and things Oh, like that. absolutely. I saw all kinds of stuff. Most, yeah. most of the, the stuff that I saw was uh, because it's Germany, you know, frostbite. Yeah. Amputations. Uh, a lot of guys sleeping close to the, close to the vehicles that they shouldn't be because of yeah. the cold and yeah, they got yeah, run yeah. over when we had to take off. That's a thing. Yeah. In Iraq, that was a thing. Yeah. So that was yeah. really bad. And then the other was obviously uh, uh, constipation. 
Okay. Believe it or yeah. not, because yeah. they did because of the MREs? cold. Yeah. Oh, was it because of cold? Because of cold, they didn't want. You know, the MREs cause constipation yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't drink water, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't drink water. I mean, it was all kinds of different things, and it was you know, I mean, you're a 20 year old kid. You know, you you, you really grow fast. Wow. You know, and you have to you know adjust to the the different climates. I come from San Francisco. And there's no snow over there. It's just inundated. <laughs> yeah. Because so, we yeah. were up in the Golden Heights. I mean, where do you call that Golden Heights? The uh, uh, I'm trying to think of it. Where, where all of them? There's some mountains uh, north yeah, of Frankfurt. Um, okay. Um, it's just cold in the winter. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah, it's yeah. up in the, it's up in Bavaria, Germany in Bavaria. Yeah. You know, it was you know where all the training. What Hitler used to do all his training. Oh, that's Grafenvier. Grafenvier. That's okay. it. Love yeah. Grafenvier. Yeah, Graf. Yeah, it was wild. <laughs> so, so we did all of that, but you know, yeah. it, it, but one of the things, how did how did it feel to be repeating your father's footsteps? Oh, it was crazy. Did you feel like a sense of history in it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I felt, you know, and another thing is that, you know, in, in, in basic training, I got to tell you a funny story. Yeah. You never volunteer in yeah. the army. Yeah. My father told Didn't me Definitely on boot camp. Yeah, yeah. He said, don't volunteer for anything. <laughs> and I had a couple of other cousins that were, you know, Korean vets. Yeah. You know, they said, don't volunteer. And one day, the sergeant comes in and says, anybody here, uh, you know, you know how to play uh, an instrument, you know? And I said, well, because I, I played guitar. We had a little, you know, rock and roll band when <laughs> I was a kid. And I said, well, can't be that bad, right? I said, yeah, I can do it. He said, well, great. You know, get over here, report over here. So I report, right? And what it is is that he says, you're going to be playing the bass drum. <laughs> now, I'm five foot three. <laughs> and they gave me this bass drum, right? And I said, really? He says, yeah, because what we're going to do is you, when we're doing training and marching, you're going to hit the drum. And it's gonna be left, boom, right, boom, right, boom, yeah. boom, and that's when they did the steps, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, the cadence. Yeah, the cadence. And I said, okay, that's that's all right. You know, I can do that. I mean, it was uncomfortable, yeah. you know, this big old drum, yeah. right? But then they're having a football game oh. at Fort Ord, yeah. And they said, we're gonna play, we're gonna march in, you know, because we're gonna compete against the other companies to see who's the best marching unit, and we're gonna, you know, you know. March in, and you're going to be doing the drum, and the other guy on the other step, drum. rushing that number, right? Great. And we went there. It was a night game, and we were on a hill. And then we're supposed to walk down the hill. Oh, damn. Yeah, you got it, brother. Yeah. So we're walking down the hill. <laughs> He's like, the drum the is coming. So um, we're sitting there. We're ready. We're ready. Right? March. Boom. Boom. As so we're walking down the hill, it's steep. Right, it's yeah. wet. Yeah. It's, it's not, you know, it's, it's October, Perfect. and I slip, Ooh. and I go forward, and guess who rides the drum down the hill? <laughs> Me. <laughs> boom, 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 The cadence started picking up. He's like, <laughs> I'm rolling down the hill on top of the drum, and everybody's <laughs> running, and the whole stadium's cracking up, and I land there, boom, on the ground with the drum at the top, and the, and the sergeant yelling, Rosales, what the hell's your problem, man? You know, I'm saying, oh my god. <laughs> I was, I was, I was all beat up, so never volunteer. No, never volunteer. Never volunteer. Dude, that's a rule. Yeah, that's, that's a rule. Hey, hey, the one guy says, you know shorthand? He says, yeah, I know shorthand. Hey, we're shorthand in the best hall. Get your butt over there. Well, they used to say, they used to say, in, the Marine, they used to say in the Marines, they're like, who wants to go to a party? Oh, yeah. Who wants oh, to go to a party? Oh, oh. And we're like, and they're like, yeah, a working party. <laughs> and then yeah, they're like, a working right. party is like chow hall, KP yeah, duty. You got it. You go got take it. out the trash. And in Iraq, it was really bad because Iraq is a... Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if I'll say it, it's curse word, but it's, uh, you know, burning the shitters, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you got well, like kerosene. Yeah. You did that? Yeah, yeah so we, yeah. Still, we still did it in Iraq. Oh, absolutely. So, absolutely. so like, uh, it was like, burn you know, pits. yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So, you were like, uh, the burn pits would be like 
a party. A party. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You got to be careful. It was nuts, but, you know, it was uh, the biggest part of that was the fact that you became uh, self you're reliant. You learn how to work with uh, other people, teammates, because yeah, yeah, yeah. basically, you know, you know, yeah. you got to cover each other. It didn't matter who you were, where you came from, or what it was. Yeah. You had to cover each other because, you know, that's, that's who you have to rely on. Uh, loyalty. Uh, and then obviously patriotism because now you're you know you're yeah. we're basically we're at war yeah uh, and you know unfortunately for, you know fortunately for me I wasn't so, in Vietnam you know I'm not it was during Vietnam I'm know? not in favor of the the draft inter- but but I think all volunteer force works better but I do think it, it does a lot for Americans especially Americans that have immigrant parents or or immigrants themselves to to serve because oh, yeah. it, it does something to you to your to your character does something to your civic nature. Uh, you just see the world a little different, especially if you serve overseas. Yep. Uh, I mean, like we talked about this in the in the last 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 segment about you know coming like you know overseas and you come back to America, you learn to appreciate this country in oh, ways that, time. that 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 other folks don't that never leave or never serve because it's different to go to like Mexico to Cancun for vacation. Sure. To go to Mexico and serve in like a training op or or counter narcotic op or to go to war and things like that. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that you know we need to have you know, a draft or nothing like that. Uh, for sure, not. I'm not really in favor of that policies, but. I do think it does something, and especially I think for, you know, in my case, it was like, you know, you, when you're from a kind of a low income background, low income, yep. you don't have a whole lot of options, right? It's not sure. like you're getting, if you're knucklehead like I was in high school, you don't get like scholarships thrown out your door. You're not a super athlete. So you got to figure out a way to take that step. And that sometimes the military is that step for a lot of people. Yeah, oh, I think absolutely. it's a discipline that it teaches you is it, it focuses your energy. Yeah. yeah especially yeah, hyperactive kids sure. and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing too, is that, you learn how to interact with everybody. You know, all, that's a great point. All yeah. nationalities, yeah. you know, yeah. all all levels of society. I mean, it was you know, it, it, we were all the same. So in the Marine Corps, we say we're all green, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, dark green, like Absolutely. green Marine, so but yeah. you're all, we're yeah. all green. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, that's why, like, you know, when we talk today, today, like in society now, there's this whole conversation about racism and things oh, like that. Crazy. And I was like, you know, I served with people from all over the United States. Yeah. I might have encountered like one racist guy, maybe like in yeah. eight years same. or something like that. Yeah. And he was like some guy and he, and he was like racist on a surface really, because when it came down to actually having to do real, like, uh, like when you break down, you know, you, nature breaks down your character, right? Like if you're out sure. in the woods or if you're out in the surf or anything like that, like I, I like, we, we, you know, we're in the Marines, so we do a lot of stuff on the beach, right? The water will break you. The, the sea will break you. Like you, you're, you're only as tough and everything until you get hit with that first, uh, major wave. Uh, the salt will just dehydrate you. Sure. He could be as racist as he wants, but if we're swim buddies, he's swimming with me. Oh yeah, because his life depends on it, you know. Oh, yeah. And um, well, in the, in the barracks, it, it's a mix. It was yeah. everybody. There yeah. was no separate separation of people. No, no. It was everybody was in there, and we were all there to survive. It's like a microcosm in yeah. some ways of the country, and yeah. and so I, I was like, if we were that racist as a society, that would never work. No, it won't right? work. That would never work. We didn't have that. I didn't see that. We didn't have that. Um, I feel like this racism conversation didn't happen until I got out of the military. Because I got out in 2008, well, 2006, but then 2008, I got off contract. And that's when I started hearing about this stuff, like when I went to college and things like that. Well, I got a, I got, I got a chance to experience, yeah. you know, the aftermath of Vietnam. And we had a lot of sensing sessions and all this kind of stuff. But in my platoon, I I just said, this is, we're all soldiers and the rules apply equally. And if you're a screw up and you're not doing things right, then I don't care what color or what, whatever you want to describe as your differentiating characteristics. If you're messing up, you're going to pay the price. Or if you're doing wonderful things, you're going to be rewarded yeah. accordingly. 
Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, Sergio, tell us. So, you you joined uh, the military also young, right? Right? Were you were you, were you uh, what they call in the Marine Corps? We call it a Mustang. I think you guys call it like green to gold or something like that. Were you no. you were your officer the whole time? No, I, I started. So I, you know, I, I was like Manny. I came to the United States when I was five. My dad was a bracero. He didn't speak English. Never went to school a day in his life. My mom didn't speak. He English. didn't get drafted into World War II, though, then. No, my old man. My, <laughs> no, no, my he was dad, avoiding the draft. <laughs> my dad was a bracero, and he got his green card in 1957, mm. and then we got ours in '61. My dad had threatened to come back to Mexico, and his bosses liked him too much and said, "Just bring your family, and we'll sponsor them." So oh, cool. we did, and that's so. In '61, we showed up in the United States. Awesome. And then I, I, I started out. How old uh, were you then? I was five. Okay. So around the same age, so, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, was, so, so, I was almost five. Yeah. So we were five boys. Uh, three of us were born in Mexico. Three, two were born in the United States. Uh, when I was a little kid, my mom said, uh, if you want to get your school clothes, go to work. So we started picking cotton. And she would take all of us, even my little brothers, and they would just sit on the cotton sack. And she pulled yeah. them. She babysat them. Is this them. Arizona? That was New Mexico. New Mexico. So I did five cotton picking seasons. The only wow. job in my life that I hated. How old were you? I was, when I started picking cotton, uh, I was nine, eight, okay. nine, wow. thereabouts. And so I had 20 different jobs before I went to college, uh, different things. Um, we were talking about some of the people that you work with that, that kind of prepare you for the Army. I worked on a drilling rig in uh, Grants, New Mexico, doing uranium exploration. And two of the guys that I worked with out of the four were ex-cons, and they were both in for armed robbery. They were really nice guys, yeah. but they could be a little rough. Made a mistake, yeah, yeah. They, they, they could be a little yeah, rough. Yeah, yeah. So you learn how to deal with those kinds yeah, of people. So yeah, when yeah. I went in the Army, it wasn't really that big a thing. Yeah. I started out in school in New Mexico in ROTC. My brother said, join ROTC because he was in it. Mm. He started out in the National oh, Guard. Your brother was in the my, Army too? My brother started in the, the National Guard as an enlisted guy. And then uh, he did... He started in May and then December said, I, I want to be an officer. So he went into ROTC. Okay. And then a year and a half later, I show up. He does my my uh, curriculum for school and throws ROTC in. I said, I don't want to do it. I had hair down to here. He said, don't worry. You, you didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. <laughs> I said, no, look, I, I, I like my hair. I don't want to. He said, you don't yeah. have to cut your hair. It's yeah. just a class. Just take oh it. And so this is the standards that we had back in those days. Yeah. I could wear my long hair with a uniform. What? And I would never let somebody do that. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that time. I was, I was, at that time, you, it was a class. Yeah. But why would you let somebody put a uniform if you look like yeah, a rag yeah, bag yeah. as I did? It didn't matter. So huh. uh, the army was That's going through funny. a transition. Remember, the volunteer army. Maybe that's just the New Mexico National Guard. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> exactly. no. This was ROTC. Oh, ROTC, sorry. Yeah. So in New Mexico State. No, and, and again, it was just, it was just a class. Okay, yeah, yeah. But part of the lab included putting on a, a uniform. uniform yeah. And so you're under no obligation. And okay, I, okay, I okay. wasn't really sure I wanted it. So you're not contracted to go. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. So that comes. <laughs> so then I transfer schools to the University of Iowa. I get there and they said, hey, you want to stay in? You've got to cut your hair. And so with, with a lot of tears, I cut yeah. my hair. And um, <laughs> Have you ever let it grow back since? No, because <laughs> it won't grow it won't, back. Now it doesn't want to cooperate. Now it's another problem. Yeah, that's, that's, I have a different He issue. said, you cut me a long time ago and I ain't coming back. I learned to be without the hair. Okay. All right. So I, I, I started school in Iowa. I'm a junior. I, I'm now under contract. Yeah. I know that I'm going in. They tell me it's, it's a two-year commitment, but that year they said, no, it's three. And I thought, mm. well, okay, fine. I'll give it a but shot. But they did two-year contracts back then? Back then for yeah. ROTC, yeah. Okay, okay. Because I didn't want, I turned down the scholarships because I, I didn't want the four-year commitment yeah. at first. Yeah. Then I started really liking it. And so I go to ROTC. My junior year, I'm not as good a cadet as I could be. And then 
that year they decided to allow uh, everybody to compete for airborne and ranger school. And they decided the best way to do this is we keep sending cadets to ranger school and they keep bombing out. Oh, yeah? And so let's just pick the top three PT scores out of the core cadets. Were you so a PT stud? I was you know, yeah. number two out of the core. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's good. So, yeah. so I, I, was, I did okay. So that was a criteria. So I get both airborne and ranger school. Oh, right on. So I finish wow. airborne school, get thrown in the back of a truck, and then I go off to ranger school. Uh-huh. And I did both in the, in the, in the first try. Yeah. No problems. I yeah. kept my mouth shut. I didn't volunteer for anything. <laughs> no, no the drums. No you, do, drums. you don't play any instruments, by the way. No, do you? no, no, no drums. And then, you know, in ranger school, what you want to do is keep your mouth shut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when they want you to yell and be a cheerleader, you're a cheerleader. When they want you to stop, stop talking. And oh, so I was kind of a low profile kind of guy. I was like at the very top of the bell shaped curve. Mm-hmm. I was neither a hero nor a zero. I, I did all my stuff that I needed to do. I did it once and I got it done and I got my tab and I go back to. ROTC, okay. the University of Iowa, and there was only about there were a very limited number of, yeah. of cadets that had both airborne and ranger mm-hmm. qualifications in, in the country. Because was jump school back then in, in Benning? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You see, did you go to jump school? No. Okay. No, no this, is the, this is the worst no course. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, think about, so when you do jump school at Benning, yeah. jump school, you have this massive uh, cool. drop zone. Yeah. When you do it in ranger school, they're, they're like stamp size. Oh, wow. So you jump out of the plane immediately, you start looking for the open area yeah. because if you don't, you're going to land in trees. <laughs> yeah. And oh, some, I'm God. a little skinny guy. Yeah. And so I could kind of guide my chute, no problem. I always landed in, in the, the open zone? area. Yeah. But I, I would look beneath me and I would see guys that would, you would see these parachutes on the top of trees and you're yeah. like, ease. No, no. I, just, what I, remember, I just remember the tower. Oh, and the I, towers are fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, but they're fun, but then you have, they're like, I was equated to like going to Disney World and you got to wait like five <laughs> hours to go on the ride. Oh but instead of God. waiting in a line, they're like, you're waiting while you're doing push-ups. Yeah, <laughs> you're doing something that you, you breathe wrong and then you're doing push-ups. But I got to tell you, 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 we're talking about the hair. Yeah. I remind me, uh, my first day, they took me from bus from Oakland to Fort Ord. They got you off the bus and then you have to turn everything in, right? Yeah. Your clothes, you ship it back home. That's why it's called GI, you know, yeah. government issue. They give you all the yeah. crap that doesn't fit, the shoes, nothing, <laughs> right? And then they gave you 10 bucks. Yeah. You know, it's the first $10 you got, you know, $5 was to buy, you know, the shaving. toothpaste, shaving, yeah. all that. And the other five bucks was to get a haircut. Yeah. You got to pay for your haircut, right? So I'm in line and this is guy in front of me, like Sergio, with the long hair and big old sideburns. And he's crying and he's <laughs> oh, because you see, because they're shaving everybody's, and they don't, off. they don't like take care. They just rinse, right? And, and they, it's got it a vacuum cleaner attached to it. Yeah. Feel like they're sucking the hair out of they're your head, sucking it all up, right? So the guy's crying. He's like, "Oh man, it took me all this time," you know. <laughs> so he gets to the gets to the barber and he sits down and he's crying. And the barber says, "What's the matter, man?" He says, "Oh man, you gotta rip off my sideburns and all that stuff." <laughs> he says, "Oh, you know, says you can keep your sideburns." He says, "Really?" He says, yeah. So he's cutting his hair, and then he gets to his sideburns. He goes, Zzz, and he slides <laughs> and, he, and he gets the hair, and he says, here, here's your sideburns. <laughs> you can keep it. <laughs> keep it. So, oh, so he gets the hair. The whole place is cracking oh, up, damn. man. I said, oh, dude, what is this guy going to do? Yeah. What did he say? What did he say? Oh, he was cracking he was up. Oh, he, he was laughing. Well, he, he, first, he was happy as hell. He's keeping his sideburns. Yeah, right. You know, then yeah. he cracks up because he knew he was... Dumb. You got him. You got him. Got him. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the hair thing. That's the army, No, man. but the haircut. You know, when, when you finish ranger school, the very yeah. last thing you do yeah. is they cycle you one more time to get as much hair as they can out of your hair. Okay, so we're yeah. talking about hair. You, want, so, so you <laughs> could tell, like, you know, us Bolivians, you don't see yeah. a, a bald indigenous Bolivian. <laughs> you, know, you don't find them too often. 
And so here's it like, you know, wait, I, but you see it in Mexicans though. Yeah, yeah well, it's different, you know, <laughs> we're Inca blood. You know? So, so no, but uh, what was interesting was one, I had a problem because this is the, like, I always drive me nuts in the Marines. Cause you know, uh, you know, you know, black Marines, right. Their hair grows up, but you can't really see it. Right. So they don't get crap for it. Right. 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 Uh, blonde Marines, uh, their, their hair is so light, you know, you don't really see it either. Latino Marines, oh, yeah. we have dark hair and lighter skin. You could, like, we just get a little peck and you could see it. Yep. Yeah. And they're always giving you crap. Your hair's not cut. Your, Your hair's hair not, not cut. cut. Right, right, right. And so, anyhow, so, like, and I'm sitting there, and then, I, and I did, for boot camp, I did what I had to do. We shaved, and then we grew, and, like, we did the thing, right? Right. For grunt school, for infantry school, I was like, you know what? I'm going to finagle my way to not, like, I, I'm going to do a low fade, you know? And, like, everyone does a mid-reg or, like, do a high fade, you know, a uh, 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 high and tight, what we call in the Marine Corps. Uh, which that's the worst haircut in the world. It's like a patch. It's like an island on the top of your head. Like, the drill instructors all had that. Oh no! And I was like, I'm gonna do a low fade, which is unheard of. <laughs> like a low, like, and uh, I slipped the barber like an extra ten. Oh no! And they did me a they, corruption. See, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you started the corruption a long that time happens. ago, right? <laughs> and I get it. And then, um, and I was one of the last people to get cut to get out of the platoon, and um, they cut they they cut my hair and like you know, just does the thing. And then I come out and then, you know, the, the platoon sergeant's looking, he's like, okay, <laughs> like looking at me, he's like, he's like, what happened here? And I was like, oh, sir, the clippers ran out of battery, sir. <laughs> and, I was like, and so he got me out and I was like, this guy's meant for Intel because <laughs> yeah. he's like, he's different, right? He's not just a regular. Man, he had to line down too. Yeah. 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 And I had it all planned out. I was like, I'm keeping my hair. I was oh like, I'm my keeping God. my hair, That's but I, I had to get it cut later. And because you know, honestly, the reason you get it cut short, to be honest, when you go to the field, yeah, they don't want to grab yeah, your yeah. hair and. Well, there's that, but there's also like stuff it's, that lives in it. It's uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, anti-hygienic to have <laughs> yeah. long hair right. and be out in the field for an extended period of time because you don't take like we would be out in the field for like 20 days and you're not taking showers or anything. Yep. If you have long hair, you're coming back with some stuff. Yeah, oh yeah, big well, time. Yeah. Once I got into the army, the hair was not an issue. It was yeah. just kind of like it stays short. That's, stays that's short. all there is yeah. to it. And yeah. and once you've been through ranger school, you've been conditioned to this. This is just the way it is. And they they teach you so many things, especially they indoctrinate you into what it is to be a leader. Yeah, well, Rangers specifically, right? Because that's like, you know, uh, leadership's and, a core. And, right, and right. it was, it, it served me super well. I I thought about being a clinical psychologist when I went into the army and I was going to yeah. defer my my really? commission and be a shrink. And then and then I realized I, I, I worked, I had like six weeks before I went into the army and I went to get a practicum uh, at a uh, rehabilitation center. And that's when I realized I'm not cut out to be a clinical psychologist. psychologist. I just don't have the the wherewithal, the patience or whatever it is. Anyway, I get into the army and I realize, hey, I can just tell people what to do. Yeah. <laughs> or I get do. told what or to do. And, 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 so, and, and it was just, it, it was just a whole different thing. And I like the camaraderie. I, I like the field. You were really kind of a white collar worker doing blue collar stuff. Question, why did you choose the army as opposed to the other branches? My brother's the one that picked up. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your brother, yeah. I, 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 remember the, I know why you went to the choice. army. And only the army drafts. This, I was going to say that. Yeah. Cause Marine doesn't draft, no, right? No, yeah. my brother, my, my brother got drafted. Okay. And so he shows up, he goes through the whole thing and then he, 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 he basically decides, uh, he gets, he gets, he gets drafted and they said, uh, but we, we're not really gonna, we're not gonna, we're not going to call you up. So, so then he got into the National Guard because he still wanted to okay. go into the Army. Okay. And once he got into the Army, he wanted to share that with me. And at first, I thought, this is crazy. And then once I got into it, I said, this is fun. And I stayed in for 30 what, years. So it was point, a lot of fun. 30 years, it was no fun for me. Man. How long did you stay in? 
Chunga, get the hell out. Uh, like, out. <laughs> yeah, they, they offered me 10 grand to re-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, yeah. uh, you know, if get I re-up, I'm going to be it. Yeah, like, I said, no, thank uh, you. Play, is this already, is like my father, is this, I got to play no, my, no, my no, lottery no, ticket, I think right? I'm, no, I think I'm lucky. Yes. Did, did, uh, I was going to ask you, did, did, um, when did you first go overseas? So I went straight overseas. I, I, I joined the army in 1978. I did my, my officer basic training, started in July and then Thanksgiving weekend, I'm in Frankfurt, Germany, Germany yeah. on my way to Mainz. Okay. Wow. Uh, so and we so, were we were, yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, we're in the eighth. I was in the eighth infantry division. I think Hanau was under the, the 640 first, battery. That was, a, that was a third. Yeah, third, third armor, armor division. division. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so we were, we're partner divisions. We're right. in the same corps. We're in fifth corps. Fifth corps. So, okay. so I show up in Germany and, 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 and hung out at the Fulda Gap, right? Yeah, the Fulda Gap. I had my, <laughs> my, my uh, general defense positions were in the Fulda Gap. Okay, right on. So, so one of the things that you learn is, you know, you, you learn about Ivan and you learn about communists and all this kind of yeah, stuff. And sure. I would kind of been studying that when I was, I, I was interested in that since high school. So now here you are in Germany in the middle of the Cold War when we had a gazillion troops in, in Germany. I think at the time uh, we had something like 270,000 True. Well, it was it was arm 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 services personnel in Germany, and so it was it was massive. And uh, when you went to the field, you didn't do any simulations. You went to the field with all your stuff, oh, right. everything, yeah. everything. And and you would do these these field exercises in the middle of villages. You yep. You'd drive through town. You had your vehicles parked in everybody's little stretch of wood. Uh, we would typically do the exercises about this time of the year when the harvest has already been finished. And uh, then you know you it start raining and then you get stuck in the mud and oh. and it would rain and rain and rain like it is right yeah, now. Yeah. Worse. And it was a miserable existence yep. in the field, but it was fun when you came out and you learned a lot in the process. So it was you a complete. <laughs> and it, that's the thing. I think the the what do you call it? Uh, self sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. To learn how right. to just be on your own and figure it. Especially in like so you know I, you know when going in, in the Marine Corps and the infantry is a little different, but. And then I went to like a uh, supply MOS, like to do like, uh, you know, warehousing and stuff like that. But then you move into Intel and then that's a little different because you're a lot more independent, a lot more independent, right. to, uh, even more than like uh, Rangers or, or, sure. or, or medics and stuff, because you really are kind of an augmentee to different uh, uh, bigger units and you're supporting the division and stuff like that. And then I think even more so when you go to war, when you go to war, I mean, cause you know, when we went, so like a little bit of our story, my story, um, first, this is an interesting point to tell in the podcast because, and I've said this in presentations and stuff, but so I went to Iraq in 2003 in the invasion. Right? Is right, and I, I mean, we go to Kuwait first because we're, we didn't know when we're going to cross the, the the border. We're going to cross what they call the FIBA, right, right? the right. forward edge battle area. But we knew it was coming, and this is like late February, waiting in March, and and this is actually something I just talked about recently with another veteran on another pod. Um, we the military, U.S. military hadn't been at war. Like serious war for a lot since Vietnam, pretty yeah, much, right? We, we had the Balkans, we had something like that. We had Kosovo. We also had the Desert Storm and stuff like that. But that wasn't war in the sense that like prolonged, sustained warfare against right. uh, you know in a, in a foreign area. Um, but we knew we were about to get into it, right? And Afghanistan was kicking up, but that was more special ops, and that was like a limited limited engagement. Uh, this was going to be like uh, divisions, you know, brigades yeah. were coming into Iraq and we were right. preparing for that. Uh, and I mean, this is not something I want to say, but I, like, it's true. Uh, I mean, there were certain Marines that were scared. I remember this. Oh, hell, we were all scared. scared. Yeah. Well, we're all scared, but I'm, you know, but I'll be honest with you. A lot of the Marines that I, that were close to me, we wanted to go. We wanted to go because we were tired of training. You know, we were training all like always training or like, like, you know, we're, we're, they're training us to fight. Yep. So we need to fight. You know, yep. and, and I mean, a fighter fights. 
You know? right. So we wanted to go. And, you know, my background, I'm not going to get too much into that, but, you know, I, I wasn't, I, you know, we're all scared, but I'm, I'm scared at the same time excited, you know? Yep. I want to do this. That that changes once the bullets start coming. You know, <laughs> it's a little more scared than excited. You know? uh, yeah, absolutely. And then there, although there are some guys that are different, <laughs> like well, they just some guys like that. They, stuff. Yeah, yeah, I was like, you're you're a little nuts. Yeah. I was like, I don't know, yeah, watch a lot you. Of nuts, you know? Glad you're here because yeah. I don't want you in the streets. You know, yeah. those are the guys that get the medals. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> they get something else. Sometimes, yeah, right. But but uh, there were other guys, and they were like hot shots in training, like super studs on yeah. the rifle range and PT. Yeah. But when it came down to doing the real deal, they weren't ready. They were wimps. I remember a dude, they were wimps. And even in the Marine Corps, there was a dude I remember, a staff sergeant, uh, hot shot and everything. He found a way not to go. He was already in Kuwait. We're already like on the board. He found a way not to cross because he made a, like a whole uh, uh, reason. He said uh, he's gla his gas mask inserts didn't arrive yet. Oh, you know, because we're in Iraq, we're worried about you know, the gas can. <laughs> so your gas mask insert, he's like, yeah. And apparently there's a condition that, you know, he found a way to not go. Oh, wow. I was like, dude, that's some, that's some bitch maneuver right there. Like, well, you know? I tell you, the GIs, are, they, they can come up with ways to yeah. do things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, my, my brother was in Desert Storm. So yeah. um, I was stuck at Leavenworth at the time. And uh, he goes off to war. And I asked him, I said, after the whole thing was over, and I said, so what was it like? And he said, well, you know, you've been to the National Training Center. I said, yeah, I mean, I've been to the been there and he said well going through desert storm was about 10 percent of going through the national training center okay now that was his experience yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and right, so right. uh we just we just rolled over everybody and, and yeah and De desert storm was one of those i think to me maybe one of the last conventional operation military yeah. war operation that really was super efficient like we just we rolled yeah. over the, the iraqis yeah. like yeah. And it wasn't yeah. even more than i say uh you know the invasion in iraq but anyway, the point I was going to make with that is to say, this was interesting because, and I, I say this that, and Sergio knows this, and you might know this too, many, but um, so what uh, the job I did initially when I went to Iraq, so you guys, you guys have heard of search and recovery, right? Right. You know, right. SNR, right? Uh, I did uh, no, I'm sorry, search and rescue, search and rescue, SNR. Right? I did search and recovery. Recovery comes after you yeah. figure out that there's nothing <laughs> yeah. to, to rescue. So you, yeah. you're, you're recovering the remains right. uh, of, of of soldiers and Marines that were in KIA killed oh, in combat. Terrible. So that's what that was what I had to do. Um, so, but I got to see a lot of the 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 uh, uh, fatality statistics and stuff. Right. Uh, this is first one point. The first co combat casualty of the U.S. Armed Forces in Iraq was a Guatemalan immigrant. Wow. Uh, uh, and I remember we saw this. And it was minutes within next. So the, the, there was another guy that hit, got hit with a sniper. And, uh, and then there was another was a helicopter crash. But the first one, technically, that went to the processing center and, you know, got his uh, personal effects, gets shipped out to Dover, Delaware, was a Guatemala immigrant. And there was a lot of confusion at first, the time and everything like that, yeah. when it got back to the Pentagon. But eventually they, they got the story right. And I think Univision actually did a whole piece on it and stuff like that. But I remember this guy. I remember this guy that came through the processing center. The second point of it, it was when you look at the statistics in terms of nationalities, the third nationality with the highest level of casualties in the Iraq war in the first year of the war, second to only the United States and uh, Britain, uh, uh, UK, was Mexicans. Wow. Like, it's blocked with because there's no, like, Mexicans weren't part of the coalition that went into Iraq. What is because of what you were saying before? They were was, green card holders. There were green. There were so many that's U.S. Right. residents, yep. Mexican nationals serving, especially in the Marine Corps. And that's that's a that's a rite of passage 
So going to the Marines when there's a war is yeah. sort of a thing. Yeah, and, and it's Camp Pendleton, California, right? That's yeah, where the first Marine Expeditionary Force is the one that I was in. Like East Coast Marines, like I was the second man from North Carolina that went, but that was a small detachment compared to First Met. First Met took the lead in the war. We went to Pendleton before we shipped off to Kuwait. And so uh, like the Mexicans, they were a big part of this war, even if they yeah. weren't officially part of the war. And, and I think that speaks a lot. I remember seeing, I remember seeing Texan flags in Iraq like in some of the Humvees and stuff. I remember seeing Mexican flags in Iraq. It's like, oh, well, you know, Mexico's going to conquer here, but I guess they will. Mexico's going to plant a flag everywhere. But uh, but I think this is a beauty. It, this gets to the heart of who we are because, again, you were saying earlier how important it is to be in an organization that incorporates everybody, and that was the beauty of it because when, when the bullets start flying, everybody's an American. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And I think this is one of the places the military is where you really get a feel for being an American. You understand what that flag means. You understand what you're fighting for. You understand what yeah. the Constitution is because you raise your right hand. I mean, it's the only thing you're looking the for. The only thing you're looking for when you're looking at, you know, because you, you know, from a distance, uniforms kind of blurry, right? You're looking for that patch, you know? Right. You're yeah. looking for that patch. It's like, oh, it's an American. Okay, it's we're good. It's an American you know? patch. You're looking yeah. for the flag. Yeah. You're looking yeah. for the flag. You're the flagpole. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. Absolutely. And I think that's, a, that's a, I was in Estonia recently. One of the, I was giving a, like a, a, a keynote address about, Freedom is the conference is called Defending Freedom. You know, a lot of it was yeah. about Russia and things like that. And what I said was, I said, you know, you know, we're all here, like, I think, in you know, whether you're conservative or you're a classical liberal or libertarian or maybe a Christian Democrat, right? you all believe in individual liberty. I think that's, we all, that unites all of us, right? Yep. But there's another concept, I think, that isn't clearly discussed as much among even conservative circles, uh, which is uh, national sovereignty, mm -hmm. which is a big part of yeah. that. And I, and I said, when you go to war, when you go to when you when you're when you're in combat, it's not your individual liberty that you're thinking about. It's that national sovereignty, which is based on your patriotism for your people and your country. And you're looking like the you could be a stranger you just met yesterday, yep. but you're now in the fight, and you're like, I'm going to depend on you. You're going to depend on me. Yep. Right. And it brings you closer together than almost anything in the anything. world. Absolutely. It brings you closer together. And I think that's that's what makes us, and like America is this unique experiment because, you know, we're blessed by geography for sure. We have great yep. real estate in the world, yep. uh, two oceans, Canadians in the north, you know, yep. and Mexicans in the south. But but I think more than anything, we have this ability to just unite under that sense of being an American with the flag because we know we're very diverse in terms of like West Coast, East Coast, South. I mean, even each state is very different. It's almost like a country in itself. But, uh, uh, you know, most countries don't have that. Even in China and Russia, you know, they're not as united internally no, right. as they are. And or they don't have as many friends either. No. And no. so I, 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 my next to the last assignment was with the UN. I, I provided US, UN military observers. Those are my guys. And one of the things that, that people look for was that American flag. Because, you know, we, we, wear, we wear the flag like a flagpole. We wear it on the, on the, on the right shoulder yeah. in the army. Yeah. And it's it's a backward flag. People say, why why do you have a backward flag? And this is not because the the field of stars has to be in the leading edge. And so every time that I went to places, they were always looking for that American flag, mm. and they always wanted that American support. And there were some cases where uh, we had some guys in a pickle, and I was I would always coordinate with what whatever combatant command was in that region, even though we were working with the UN, which kind of put us outside of the normal realm of things, but. I was never denied any assistance from any of the combatant commanders. And every time the first place that I visited was at combatant command headquarters. And I was in a position to pull out my guys and I was going to fill the C-130 uh, out of, out of uh, a place. 
Uh, so they would come in and get us out if we needed to. We didn't end up executing that particular option, but they were always ready to go. And people always looked to the United States for leadership, even though at the time, I think at my, at my peak, I had like 36 military observers scattered throughout yeah. uh, five active missions at any given time. We, I, I shut two down, I stood two up, and I got to go to garden places like uh, Liberia right after the Civil War, <laughs> Haiti nice. right after the, the, the pickle. Liberia is a place, huh? Liberia, yeah. Haiti, Eritrea, Ethiopia. Was Charles, no, that was before Charles yeah, Taylor. Yeah, no, right? that was Charles, Charles Taylor was the reason we were there. So I was there when he, he was oh. leaving. He was a messy guy. Yeah, totally. yeah. He, messy was, guy. he left in a messy way. He left. Yeah, that guy was a piece <laughs> that of That was the first, I, I, there was a, a NEO, a non combatant evacuation operation. Yep. Of the uh, messy, were you going to say, Manny? No, I was going to say about Taylor. Oh, yeah. I'm in, I'm in um, uh, Nigeria. Okay. Because we were going to open up small business development centers. Yeah. We had a you know, the uh, uh, commerce department in, in the SBA, you know, working with the uh, uh, with, with Nigeria. So they sent me to Abuja, and I'm sitting there with the um, in a Sunday morning. Uh, we, we we did all of the the, the work a couple of days before, and then the. President was uh, a passenger. Okay. He invites me to uh, mass because he's a Kazakh preacher. So he does his his mass in his private chapel and, and the presidential residence. And you know, then afterwards he invites us to dinner, uh, to uh, breakfast. And he had all of the people sitting around in the breakfast, and he's talking. And you know, I'm there with the ambassador and everything. And then all of a sudden, one of his military aides comes over and whispers in his ear, and he says, uh, "Excuse me." have to come back get a bit back in a minute and then he goes back behind some curtains and he's talking to the guy and he comes in and i asked him the ambassador i said what who's this guy he says oh that's his top military advisor and then he comes back out and he sits down and he says excuse me i i, I I'm, I'm sorry but we're gonna have to pick this up because uh taylor is now asking for <laughs> asylum Nigeria. <laughs> so he was so he was coming in. He was accepted yeah, yeah, yeah. from uh, all the mess that he had created. I think created. he did get asylum he from got, Nigeria. He yeah. got asylum yeah. from Nigeria. Yeah, I so that. I was right there. Oh, were you really? Right there when the guy came in and said he was, uh, you know, and he was asking this for is, like, So you, how you guys like cross paths in the same place? Yeah. To so me, amazing. you did too. Yeah, it's amazing. So I, when you were mentioning that, I said, oh my God, I got to remember I was doing that, that. So, so to tie in the Marines, mm -hmm. um, both in Haiti and in Liberia, I got there when the Marines were leaving. Okay. And in the case of Liberia, the African Union was coming in. In the case of Haiti, the Marines, I got there when the Marines were still there. Okay. And then made, did some coordination. And then we created the Multinational Inter Force Haiti, mm -hmm. uh, which replaced the Marines. And then we created MINUSTA that replaced the Multinational Inter Force Haiti. So I was part of that whole process. Yeah, okay. And so what you get a chance to see is what failed states look like. Yeah, and in, yeah, in both Liberia and in Haiti, you you got to see different geographical settings, but the problems are still a lot the same. In yeah. the case of Liberia, we probably had one of the most successful disarmament uh, missions that 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 uh, you've had with a peacekeeping mission. At some point, we had something like fifteen thousand uh, forces in Liberia to put the country back on track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. You, you've seen some success stories, and it was it was interesting to see how everything came together and how the different missions operated because not all of them had the same level of efficiency. For sure. But we we got a chance to see some good out of that, and uh, you also get a really good opportunity to understand human nature 
because I had missions in 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 Georgia. Yeah, all the stuff that's going on. Like Georgia, the, Georgia, the Caucasus. The Caucasus. Yeah. I I've been in South Ossetia. Yeah. I've been in I've been in in Najara. I've been in Abkhazia. Some yeah. of the it's a hot the, zone now. It's a little messy. Yeah. Yes. Crazy. It's a hot and zone. So, I mean, well, Putin, like I you know, when I was, came back from Europe, and you know, so everyone's talking about what's his next move, right? Because obviously, in Ukraine is not going well for him. No. Um, so they're looking at what he's going to do because he's apparently he's not stopping, you know, no. going forward. So one option is where I was at the Baltics and the Nordic countries. Yeah, yeah they're they're vulnerable. Uh, you know, they're not part of NATO and things like that. So they're looking at you know he might look at you know doing some shenanigans out there. Probably not military esque like he did in Ukraine, but he's got cyber options. He's got you yeah. know subversion all those other options. But the other area that everyone's talking about, he might do back go back to two thousand eight. He might do uh, you know uh, South Ossetia. He might do Georgia. He might do that area uh, again. Right. Although I think that his option, you know, you know far be it for me to think like Vladimir Putin, but um, I'm thinking that his options are probably better in North uh, than they are in in the Caucasus or Central Asia, just because he's going to run into more clashes with Turkey and and, and even into some levels with Iran and things like because there's different competing interests. I think right now part. he's got his hands full with Ukraine. Yeah, no, but but that's so, the, that's so, the reason why because he's looking to something that's going to deflect. But from, I don't I don't know how he could deflect by. Doing but not militarily. Anything. Like if he does if he does if he does like a cyber offensive yeah. on like you remember the cyber attack on Estonia in two thousand seven that like was majorly crippling right. for Estonia. Estonia has def, has built a I was briefed when I was there like a tremendous cyber capability now, uh, but they've noticed uh, an intensity on cyber attacks that were happening in August. Uh, on, on them from from Russia, uh, and then when they did the the conscription, when, when Vladimir Putin announced the partial mobilization, um, the only country that no, I want to say cause I think Turkey remained open, but one of the few European Union countries that remained open was Finland. Yeah, uh, and 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 so you know they're looking at a mass migration push onto that border and seeing like that. So my guess is he's. I, I agree with you. Like bandwidth militarily, I don't think he has much more. I mean that's why. They're looking at getting, no. you know, I think uh, artillery from North Korea, drones from Iran. I mean, he's going to the bottom of the barrel, scrapping. Yeah, he's having for, a difficult for, time. For stuff. And, and, yeah. and mobilizing another 300,000. And that all went wrong. That one create like they, they like drafted the wrong people and they're like apologizing. And, and stuff. They're, all, they're all trying to get out. So yeah. About border. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And so my thinking is he's going to have to resort to what Russia is actually good at, which is non-kinetic stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, he, but he has to create a threat. That's gonna have the Europeans and the world Americans to start looking at another flank because it you know because that's the problem Ukraine the Ukraine government has a lot of external support from uh, the Europeans from NATO from the United States yeah. from Turkey from other places. Well, I think what's gonna be telling though is yes to all of that, but when you shut off the ability of Germany to get gas, oh yeah, yeah the uh, and winter is coming, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be terrible over there. The typical European citizen is not going to be happy with turning the thermostat way down. Yeah. And if there's not an influx of, of gas coming from the United States and we're not producing much more, uh, and then the Chinese are using some of the gas we sent yeah. to China and they're sell, reselling it over into Europe, the whole dynamic of the energy issue is going to play out this winter. So we're going to see how that changes again. You know, But this gets back to the nature of the military I started out as a second lieutenant in the Folda Gap. You know, we were stationed in mines. We we would go up to to our border positions uh, when we did exercises. And you're a lieutenant looking at a very small piece of turf. And then 
as you spend more time in the in the military, you start getting a much broader view of the world as it is, and you figure out that you're part of that dime paradigm where you're talking about diplomacy, information, the military, and economics, and you're that big hammer in the toolkit of American power, and you start to understand how it all fits together. Yeah. This is the beauty of being in the military, that you start from a kid that came to this country not speaking a word of English who flunked the first grade because he couldn't see, and then in one generation, I get a chance to see and do all of these things. You know, what I described with the peacekeeping, just one aspect, but you know, working in the Trump administration four years, uh, looking at defense policy no, for this hemisphere. Both you guys. I mean, really I mean you, you did it in the Pentagon at the Trump administration. I mean, you served for four years uh, as a, a political appointee, as, as, as a defense official, the uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for all Western Hemisphere Affairs. And you served in the Bush administration, uh, Small Business Administration. Seven years. Seven years yeah. in the Bush administration. And so, like, and we didn't even talk that much about the work that you've done with for small businesses and Latinos sure. and things. But that's for people that, you know, don't know Manny. Manny is one of the like the the go-to figures here in Washington, D.C. for folks that want to get minority-owned businesses up and running. I mean, he's been doing, he did it since the Bush era. And, he, you know, we all oh, had yeah, to survive yeah. the Obama years, you know. <laughs> the Obama then, years. Uh, oh, yeah. But we all went through that. And then and then uh, during the Trump years, were you in, in the government or at all? Or no? I was uh, a senior consultant in energy okay. for two years. Yeah. And you're absolutely correct. Energy is where it's at. Yeah. yeah. And that's a big, you know, going back to the full the gap, because, you know, we did a lot of our maneuvers um, with NATO, we used to have these, you know, big time alerts and maneuvers that we would oh, yeah. get, get, get we a little close to the mic so we don't. Because we were expecting yeah. that the Russians were going to come across to pull the gap, yep. okay. and we basically were just a deterrent for about thirty seconds before they flew by, by us. Right? We were road bump. We were road okay. bump, right? So we we would always be uh, doing exercises and maneuvers around the gap, and then we would. I can see the Russians and the East Germans, you know, and Czechs and all that doing the, their maneuvers oh, and wow. we, because we would we'd be up a little higher and we can see them in the gap, you know, and the scariest thing that I ever had in the military, cause I didn't get close to a war. I mean, we, there was wars going on all around us, but is one night, you know, we were, you know, basically on the, almost on the border, right. We were looking over and we wandered off me and this couple of other guys, we kind of wandered off in the woods. We were, you know, going out there to have a couple of beers and all that. And then we wandered too far. Okay. And I think we crossed over. And we could hear Russian troops. And oh, I'm saying, yeah. oh, my God. I didn't have my weapon on me. Well, I was yeah. a medic. I had a 45. Good luck, pal. So, you know, it was really, you know, we, we basically hid in the bushes and we saw them walk. The, the troops walk by. And we <laughs> crossed the border without knowing it? Without knowing it. Oh, you know, we just kind of, you know, we wound, I mean, it wasn't too far. I mean, it was right there. Uh, uh, said, how many wow. drinks did you guys have? Too many. <laughs> so yeah. that's the last time I did that one. Yeah. But, you know, you were right. I mean, that was constant maneuvering. And you learned, you know, the perspective of the larger picture. But, you know? but even back then, you learned certain things that, you know, you're talking about your gut. You yeah. get certain senses of things. I went into East Germany for the first time in, in 1980. In those days, you could go in, but you had to go in full uniform. Okay. And you had to follow a certain set of protocols. And I remember one of the things that amazed me as soon as I crossed from East, from, from West Germany to East Germany is the wheat went from being like this to being like that about half, you know, you go from a meter down to about, you know, half a meter and it was full of weeds. And then you get into the Autobahn and it's messy. It's got little cracks all over the place. The infrastructure is horrible. And then you get to meet Ivan when you go into West Berlin, cause you go from East Germany then into West Berlin and the germ or the, the soldiers that they had, they were Russian, not not Germans. They yeah. would put Russians at the border checks. 
And uh, Ivan was not 10 foot tall and bulletproof. That's when I realized, okay, eh, yeah, yeah. I don't think about this Probably Ivan guy. Yeah. And then I went into Checkpoint Charlie, went into East Berlin. And then I, I confirmed, yeah, these guys are a soup sandwich. I mean, they're yeah. the whole, you know, all of East Berlin was drab, dreary, gray. Yeah. Uh, you went to the restaurants, the heat wasn't quite there. You go into West Berlin and it's, it's a happening place. And so I kept thinking, I don't know about this business about Ivan. He can put up a good story. They're great at Potemkin villages, but when it comes to actually doing stuff, they're not that good. By the way, when we were at the Fulda Gap, guess who we were confronting at the Fulda Gap? It was the 8th Combined Arms Army, oh, who yeah. is now in southeastern Ukraine. Oh, is that right? Same, same, same unit? 8th Combined Arms yeah, Army. Okay. Same ones. Wow. Yeah. Same guys. I'm fighting yeah. those guys for a while now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, it hasn't stopped. Yeah. You know, but talking about the, uh, yeah. my role at the SBA, you know, in, in, in reference to you know, um, the world theater, is a lot of what we did internationally Obviously, the first role was to get uh, U.S. small businesses to basically export. Yeah, you know, f- provide all the programs, the funding, you know, the, uh, the the access to capital and the markets to be able to export to increase our you know export capability. But the other one was also a lot to do with diplomacy, because because yeah. yeah. a lot of the things that we did was transfer technology. Yeah. So helping, for instance, uh, in Iraq, we were basically took in. Um, uh, groups from Iraq that were coming here to learn how to set up small business development okay. centers. You know, how to... Uh, were they uh, like Iraqi Iraqi refugees? Uh, no, no, Iraqi uh, government okay. business officials so they can create something similar so okay, they can okay. get their businesses up and running. Oh, right on. You know, and we did the same thing in Nigeria. We did the same thing in Egypt. Wow. Uh, in uh, Latin America, Costa Rica was one of was our the first. Big ones? And, and yeah. Mexico, where we set up uh, the first... Um, we call the small business development centers. Now Mexico has about 250 of them. Wow. All over Mexico that help small businesses grow. So a lot of our role was basically diplomatic yeah. you know, in foreign affairs because being part of the, the international function of the U.S. government, the State Department would use us to do certain things, USAID. Yeah, you guys are part of that it's foreign service. Yeah, power. yeah, yeah. The they would service. use us you know, uh, to uh, give us grants to go over and set up certain things. Uh, same thing with the, the Commerce Department was part of it also. So it, it, I, I was, it, it, there well, you was know, a like, lot of diplomacy involved in that and a lot of work in recovery in areas like Iraq. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the reconstruction. Back reconstruction. So we, we would actually send some guys over from our agency to help them reconstruct. And with the same thing with the GOA, the, uh, the uh, African uh, Growth Opportunity Act, they helped to get Africans, you know, export. That's something about the Bush administration. I don't think was re- really well known or told was the the successes in Africa. Oh, Africa was a big yeah, success. that was probably the most successful yeah, they, they effort successful. that absolutely, the Bush administration absolutely. did. And they had the in Latin America too, mostly Central America, when they had the um, Millennium Challenge account. Oh, Millennium Challenge. Yeah, what, yeah. Basically, what they said is, you want the money coming from us, yeah. you're going to have to then do it, you know, by project, and we're going to fund yeah. the project as you go along versus giving them the money and then they never do the project. It started, it started <laughs> you know. with like the Medi the Initiative. Yes. I remember that, yeah. And yes. then the Medi- that was the security more, right? There was, yes. it was, no, it was both. Was it? Yeah. And so, so then they went from, from that to also working CAFTA, which was, CAFTA, yeah. sure. And, and that was in Central America. And then the Millennium Account came later. Yes. But all of these things require that interagency cooperation coordination that, that all of us get involved in right. when you're working overseas, you know, the, the embassy is the coordinator, Yep. but everybody's got to come in from different uh, agencies to be able to be part of that. So the department, I mean, I, I, I represented the defense department when I was in the army, when I was doing overseas work, 
And then Manny was doing business. Uh, he was doing the economic piece, which came out of commerce. Well, even so, you know, I didn't even Homeland Security has an international de- uh, economics. Uh, oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Division and yeah. stuff like that. So it's it's you know economics and security and defense. It all it all really blends absolutely. together. Absolutely. And then with Mexico, you know, be, be after CAFT, um, uh, NAFTA, we did the um, Partnership for Prosperity. Yeah. Which was basically the the build it up and obviously again security and prosperity partnership security and prosperity partnership that was also the border issue at that time too and what's interesting about that is that people say security and prosperity the security piece was about 20 percent of the funding the prosperity piece is about 80 percent of the funding yeah, because right. this hemisphere doesn't have a lot of the conflicts that you have on the other side of the world well even right. in plan colombia you know a big part of that was economic uh, incentives economic development yes. it wasn't just uh, you know supporting the the military that was yeah. obviously another piece yeah, one, of, one of the first things that i did when i joined the administration was go to chile oh, was right? when we actually signed the free trade agreement i remember that chile, yeah. Yeah, yeah which was awesome because was uh, awesome. you know uh, obviously it had been um uh, passed by uh, George one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Clinton at the end finally approved Did it, yeah. it, and then we signed it. With ratified George, it. Yeah, yeah, ratified it with George W. Yeah, Chile's but, having some problems now. Though. Oh, it's yeah. big problems. Uh, you know, know, but the, but it was you know, but those trade agreements are. No, those important. are important. Those are, I mean, he. I think the Bush had the free trade area of the Americas, and I think yes. had it not been for nine eleven, yes, you can argue that you know it's debatable, but you can argue that. The Bush administration would have focused a lot more on Latin America. Well, his first meeting was with the Mexican president. Correct. Right? You know, right. I mean, he went right, right away. I but mean, then, because he's from a border town. Well, not only that, that, but, you know, President Bush and, and President Fox were both governors. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and they had a partnership established yeah. even yeah. before He's from that. Texas, before right? Yeah, so he's he, from Texas. Absolutely. Yeah, right yeah and, that's, and, it, and that's one of the things back to the migration. Yeah. And this is something that I've always said is part of the problem is the U.S. takes its ball, uh, eye off the ball in Latin America. Because what's happening is that a lot of that migration is generated by you know lack of economic opportunity, lack of yeah. jobs, you know, lousy wages, and then on top of that, you got the you know corruption. It's just getting uh, worse. It, it's getting worse because all these countries are going authoritarian, authoritarian socialist, and, and exactly. And so it, if yeah. you can just you know send the efforts like we did with Mexico with NAFTA, because now Mexico we need is we need, not really we, need not the we need problem. leadership here though. Well, there's yeah. an ideology that goes with all of this. For example, when Manny and I were doing the Cold War. You knew that you had Ivan the Terrible with, with yeah. all of his weapons across the border. And then he found out that the wall collapsed, everything went south. Uh, and then he decided, well, let me see what I can do to influence in other ways. Because during the Cold War also, we had the, the guerrilla movements throughout, throughout yeah. the hemisphere. We fought against that. I was mm-hmm. part of the training that went into that. And then later they figured out, okay, well, we, don't, we can't win in a conventional war. We can't win in guerrilla wars. Let's start influencing the way yeah. that elections are conducted. Yeah, right? yeah, And you right. saw what happened in, in, in Venezuela. I was there when, when yeah, Chavez, Chavez got elected. I was the army right. attache. Yeah. And then I further went down to Chile. And Chile was the example of how things can turn around completely. Yeah. And now Chile's taking a walk on the wild side and see if, if the government yes. is able yeah. to... We did have together. good news recently with the referendum. Yeah, that, the, that's the, right. The people, yeah. The yeah, people they went. say stuck with that, right? Because because yeah. it, it they say, look, you say... We were mad, but we're not that mad. I think what happened is that people took a step back and goes, okay, so how's no, this guy going to govern? Yeah, yeah. And and it's well, one thing to say things. It's another thing yeah, to actually no, get things done. Well, well, I think, honestly, it was they, they, they overshot their hand. Uh, they, 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 if you read that document, I mean, they threw too much into that. They, well, like, the, it, it, was, it was beyond throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It was literally like taking Chile and fracturing it into like several different countries. Well, the draft constitution was horrible. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that's yeah. why I say, like, had they, 
been a little bit like if they didn't go so far, they would have got it. They would have got yeah. some of those things. So even some of the more socialist things or yeah. some of the woke well, policies. Same things happen in Peru. Yeah, yeah. He, but that guy can't even get the the draft done. Yeah, he can't get the draft done. He's working on it. Yeah. But anyways, we gotta we gotta check out. I wanna first of all, do you guys have anything you wanna plug? Any any anything, any organization? Are you still with well, the Latino Coalition? Or? Uh, no, I wanna no? plug something that uh, we just released um last week and we invited you, but you weren't able to come. But uh, there's a group here called Job Creators Network, where basically okay. it's a small business. More, yeah, mostly focused small business, but it's all business. Okay. And what it, what it did, it was say they came out with an initiative called the Prosperity Plan for Small Business. Oh, wow. Which is similar to what uh, Gingrich did with the Plan for America. Okay. Which is basically, if you guys want to have support from the small business sector, we're talking about, you know, people running for, for office yeah. or people in office, is that you're going to have to follow these, you know, okay. you're going to have to address these issues. And those issues. Well, where are can they in, find out about that? Uh, well, JCN, uh, uh, their website, jcn.org. JCN? Uh, org. org? Yeah, okay. uh, which is the Job Creators Network. Send, send it to me and we'll put it in the we'll link in the, in the, in the yeah. description. And so that thing is, you know, basically something that they're pushing out there because small businesses That's important. always, always being neglected. Is that national or just here? No, it's national. Okay. No, no, it's a national okay. referendum but for all, all for all of, uh, you know, people who are interested in being in public, public service that they got to address those issues. And the other thing is that Small business is the economic engine. Yeah. Okay. They employ 80% of everybody. Sure. I mean, they're 90% of, or more of the exporters. So a lot of people don't understand that, you know, with this pandemic and with, with, with these regulations and all of these burdens of, you know, uh, crackdowns, it's affecting the economy it's because sure. the small businesses aren't hiring. The small businesses, you know, are, are the ones that are taking the, Taking it in the shorts when it comes to taxes and regulations. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super important. That's why our, you know, obviously our inflation is high, and, and a lot of the problems that we're having economically is because the small business sector is being really awesome uh, affected. Awesome, cool. So we'll put the we'll put the, the link so people Absolutely. can learn more about it in the Absolutely. in the description. Yeah. And, and obviously, thank you, Manny, for all that you're doing. You're always oh, thank you. been leading. Uh, I mean, I, I always say this like. We're Latinos for sure, but we're Americans at the yeah. end of the day. Like, I hate that hype. I'm not believing in America. Well, I'm American. You know yeah. what I used to say? Yeah. I was born in Nicaragua, but made in America. There you go. There you go. There, there you go. go. And drafted in America. And drafted. <laughs> so it was my own man. Yeah. <laughs> and so anything you want to plug, anything you want to promote? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I lived in a blessed country. I was yeah. blessed to come here. It was by the grace of God that we came. The coincidence that had to happen for us to be here are beyond the pale. And uh, this is the country that makes it happen. Yeah. No, no other country in the world has provided the level of prosperity for as many people as, as the United States. And this is where it was created. This is, this is what we have to defend. This is what we need to continue to strengthen. Because when a guy like me can come from another country, not speaking yeah. a word of English, from parents that were not afforded the opportunity to be educated, and, and in one generation, you know, I end up being a taxpayer, uh, and having some pretty interesting things happen to yeah, me along yeah, the way sure. with 30 years in the army and the four years of the Trump administration. Yeah. Uh, there's no other country in the world that even gets close to being able to do and, something like that. Yeah. And oh, yeah. The American dream is something that we have to defend. It's something that we have to protect because you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And some people are trying to do that. Now we need to remember that this is the country that gave Manny and I the opportunities, gave you the opportunities. We've lived the American dream. Yeah. Every day. And the uniqueness of us, is that we're we're not unique? Yeah, we are part of the fabric. We're well, yeah. we we are a representation of the American dream, but 
I would argue so that the any- uniqueness is of us is we have the opportunity to tell the story. Some exactly. some people don't because they're too busy working and doing their thing and they don't have sure. a platform or whatever. But you know, all of us have this ability to tell the story. You guys have served in high levels and we're able to tell that story. I'm serving in the civil society world. But I think that, no, absolutely, sorry, what you're saying is, is so key. I think we'll probably end on that message because, you know, it is Hispanic Heritage Month. Yes, absolutely. But it's not just about this month. It's about basically the contribution that Hispanics do. But it's not just Hispanics. It's just the, the, what the, it's more, I feel like it's it's what America does that allows Hispanics to do what we exactly. would do in their, like, if Bolivia, where my parents are from, was different, was, you know, had, you know, gone a different direction, then I would be doing, you know, great things in Bolivia. Yeah, and that would have been sure. my, my future or Nicaragua sure. Sure. Or, or Mexico. Right. But we're having challenges in those countries. Most of those countries, well, Nicaragua and Bolivia are now under complete uh, authoritarian, authoritarian control. Absolutely. Uh, Mexico is kind of on a slippery slope. We'll see, hopefully it recovers. Yep. Um, but the United States is, is, is in danger. It's not there. Uh, but I, I, exactly what Sergio said, I think it's worth defending. And, and I think the story of today was we've had uh, Latinos in the United States that have defended this country not just because uh, we migrate to this country, or in the case of Sergio and, and Manny, uh, uh, we're migrate to this country, but because uh, their love for this country. Uh, and, and they continue to serve today, even if it's not in uniform, it's in all the work that they're doing here in Washington and, and, and throughout the world. But if you're new, uh, I hope you like this episode. If you, if you like this episode, be sure to hit the like button uh, and leave, drop a comment. That always helps us with the algorithm. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. It's uh, available on all digital platforms. But if you like it on YouTube, where you could see a little bit more of the visuals, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you listen to it on audio, Spotify is probably one of the best places to listen to it. Go ahead and uh, subscribe on Spotify. And we'll do this. I like this chemistry. We'll bring you guys back. We'll do oh, this again. Come back. Yeah, you guys, are, you, you guys, you guys have like I think you guys have like some of the same experiences, but from different. <laughs> like what do you say, brothers from a different mother? So there we go. There <laughs> Nicaraguan yeah, and, and Mexican. So. Uh, We'll see you guys at the next episode. So thank you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Subscribe to the Border Wars podcast and visit our website at securefreesociety.org. See you in the next episode.